Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents. I'm Howard Dory. I'm Jessica Dory. And we're excited to bring you another deep, irreverent dive into a lesser-known story about the early American presidents. This one is Whopper. I can't wait. We're going to look at a man who single-handedly is responsible for bringing us the biggest sex scandals in early American history. Really? His name is James Thompson Callender. Callender. The story really lends itself to three acts, so that's how I'm going to lay it on you. Okay. In Act 1, we're going to talk about the truth about Alexander Hamilton and Mariah Reynolds. Ooh, Mariah Reynolds. Remember her from the musical? Okay. You couldn't say no to this? The, oh, yeah. I couldn't say no to this. In Act 2, I remember that. we're going to talk about what happens when you attack the hermaphrodite John Adams. <laughs> and in Act 3, we're going to talk about the biggest political mistake of Thomas Jefferson's life. Oh. So strap in. I'm strapped. First, who is James Callender? He was born in Scotland in 1758. Mm -hmm. His father was a tobacconist. <laughs> okay. And his parents probably died young because one time he referred to himself as an orphan bard. Wow. Did they die of tobacco use? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't talk about his childhood much, but what we do know is that he was bred up in the Presbyterian faith, probably Orthodox Calvinism. Uh -huh. And that gave him a very strong, almost puritanical sense of right and wrong. But he also spent a lot of time in taverns with people who wrote dirty poems. We know he was always a heavy drinker. So he was a hypocrite. Yeah, from right right from the start. It sounds about right. It, right. <laughs> it sounds pretty typical to have yeah. those kind of strong moral values that need to apply to everybody and then be a hypocrite. Yep, you gotta love him. I got okay. Just wanna take him home and cuddle him. In Scotland in 1792, he anonymously wrote this pamphlet, The Political Progress of Britain. He argued strongly for Scottish independence, and he called out corrupt people in power, corrupt systems. All of this got him into some trouble. He was exposed as the author. So he fled to Dublin, and then America, oh. <laughs> where freedom of the press was part of our very foundation, or so he thought. With limits. That brings us to Act One, James Callender versus Alexander Hamilton. So in 1793, Callender fled to the United States. He was an outlaw. Soon, Callender was reporting on the House of Representatives. He wrote for some newspapers. He edited some books. Uh, in about a year, he was able to actually pay for his wife and his children to come join him in Philadelphia. He was doing pretty well. And he started talking shit about George Washington. Wow. He thought Washington was too powerful. He cloaked himself in the Constitution, making it seem like a crime to say anything against the government because you're saying bad things about the country. I mean, Washington was beloved. He was. At the time. Yeah. Okay. But Washington had his political opponents, mm -hmm. like Jefferson, Madison, Monroe. So they were okay with this defaming because they thought it could help them win elections down the road? Is that what you're saying? They were super okay with it. Okay. And there was one man, more than any other, who was helping to define Washington's policies. 
and that was Alexander Hamilton. James Callender is the reason we know about the Reynolds affair. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. In the musical, it's a big deal. Uh, it was a big deal in Hamilton's time, too. It was probably one of the major causes of his political downfall. Hmm. If it hadn't come out, he might never have eventually gotten into that duel. He might have become president someday. So Callender is to blame for all of it. It all started with James Reynolds. He was in jail for some financial scheme involving unpaid back pay to Revolutionary War soldiers. When he was in jail, he reached out to James Monroe and some other folks and told them, hey, Alexander Hamilton was in on this with me. Take a look at these receipts, this proof. So James and Mariah Reynolds both showed them proof that Hamilton was paying them a lot of money, a total of $1,300. That's a total, that's a third of what Hamilton made in a year. Mm. But Reynolds was saying that that's it was crazy. all part of a financial scheme they were involved in together. So that was a lie. It was more that he was paying to keep the affair a secret. Maybe. Is that correct? Oh, okay. Monroe confronted Hamilton. Hamilton swore that it wasn't anything illegal he was involved in. It was just an affair and, and blackmail. Mm -hmm. And supposedly he showed them some evidence of that. And Monroe promised not to tell anyone. But he shared that info with his BFF, Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, somehow, James Callender found out about it. So from Jefferson, most likely. Who can say? <laughs> Calendar published a pamphlet called A History of the United States for the Year 1796. Nobody said he was great at titles. <laughs> In the pamphlet, he brought up Hamilton's affair with Mariah Reynolds and the financial speculation he was accused of. Hamilton was sure that Monroe had somehow leaked this, mm. and they almost got into a duel over it. Wow. The duel was prevented by smooth-talking Aaron Burr. Oh, that's so ironic. Yeah, he probably told Monroe, don't worry, I got this, just wait for it. And then down the road, he decides to take care of it himself. Yeah. Hamilton responded to Callender's accusations by publishing the Reynolds pamphlet, 95 pages of details about how he wasn't guilty of financial crimes, he was just guilty of being seduced by one Mariah Reynolds in her house, in his house, in his bed. <laughs> Seduced over and over and yeah. over again. And then For how long? How long did they have an affair? A year. A year of seduction. Mm -hmm. And then he detailed how he was blackmailed for it by both Mariah and her husband, James. It was a bold move. Yeah. Uh, most people... 94 pages yeah. of details. 95 from, pages. From Hamilton. Yeah. About his affair. Yeah. That must have been some major detail. He included uh, letters from Mariah oh. and James Did as proof. include positions and <laughs> like tantric talk and, like, I mean, 95 pages? There were some allusions to... I think he said she could take different positions or something like that. So he did. It was, I was joking. It may have been detail. a double entendre. I think he was talking about how she could act one way and then act another in a different situation. Huh. So he's the victim, clearly, in those 95 pages. Not everyone bought it. But who didn't buy it? James Callender. Of course. Called it a smokescreen, a lie to cover his real crimes. James Monroe didn't buy it either. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a really good chance that Alexander Hamilton made up the Mariah Reynolds affair to cover for far worse crimes that might have landed him in jail. Wow. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't know what side I'm on yet. Well, let me give you a little more info. Okay. Historian Talar J. Mazio, and I may be mispronouncing that, mm -hmm. uh, in her biography of Eliza Hamilton, she makes a good case against it. She says there's no real evidence of the affair. The letters, all these letters that Hamilton transcribed 
and included in the Reynolds pamphlet. He said they came from Mariah and James. The originals don't exist. Hamilton said he gave them to a friend for safekeeping, but the friend was like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, he didn't really plan this very well. Newspapers at the time asked to see the originals so they could get handwriting samples. They wanted to compare the handwriting to Mariah Reynolds' actual handwriting. Uh, he did not provide them. And those tra- those transcripts mm-hmm. in his pamphlet, there were some fishy things about them. Really? Short words were misspelled inconsistently, and some long words were spelled totally correctly. <laughs> One biographer of Thomas Jefferson said it looked like an educated man's guess at what an uneducated woman's love letters might look like. Wow. That is fishy. Why can't you spell, you know, big or bendy? <laughs> well, you know, but you can spell adulterer <laughs> just fine. Fishy. Very fishy. There's some speculation that some of the letters are eerily similar to the few surviving letters between Eliza and Alexander. Hmm. He may have taken content from Eliza's letters to him and said that this is a letter that Mariah wrote to me. This might be one of the reasons that Eliza Hamilton burned their letters to conceal the similarities. Well, but when you think about it, you're so ashamed and angry that you burn your own letters to the man that you love that, you know, cheated on you. That's what happened in the musical, but that's not what happened in real life. What do you mean? She didn't burn her letters after the affair. When did she burn them? Much later in life to conceal their privacy. In real life, she never got upset at him or made him sleep in his office or anything like you see in the musical. (laughs) She stood by him and always claimed he was honorable and admirable. Oh, that's nice. It's possible that she was in on it. Interesting. If he made up this whole thing, it was pretty brilliant. Because why would anybody confess in such detail to something like that? It's kind of how people lie, right? They they say, well, you're right. I did take a cupcake. <laughs> but then they leave out and omit the worst part of the incident. Yeah, but say, he's like, not necessarily saying that. He's saying, you know what? Actually, I took I took all the cakes. I took all of them and yeah. I ate them for a year. Um, but I didn't steal the money. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who else denied the Reynolds affair? Who? Mariah Reynolds. She was ready to submit a handwriting sample to prove that Hamilton faked the letters. She always said it was part of a financial speculation scheme and that they never had any kind of affair. Wow. Whatever happened, James Thompson calendar exposed a huge scandal that helped end Hamilton's career. Oh, wow. That really impressed Vice President Thomas Jefferson who really needed a writer like James Callender to keep going after the Federalists, and that included the current president, John Adams. Stay away from John Adams, damn it. That brings us to Act 2. The attack dog James Callender versus the hermaphrodite John Adams. <laughs> History Con is coming to the Pasadena Convention Center from April 3rd through 5th. Join us for this fun-filled event where you can meet the stars from your favorite history shows and hear from historians, authors, experts, and more. See Dan Carlin, H.W. Brands, Bettany Hughes, T.J. Styles, and others as they discuss topics ranging from the U.S. presidency and ancient Rome to the men who built America and beyond. I'm especially excited to see the panel inside the White House America's First Families because you get to learn about the First Ladies and their children. Alexis Coe, the author of the new George Washington biography, You Never Forget Your First, is going to be moderating the panel, and that should be pretty exciting. I think we're going to be there on Sunday. Uh, If you're going to be there, too, 
shout out on Twitter at plod with me and maybe you'll have a chance to see uh, just how awkward I am in person. <laughs> I already know how awkward you are in person. Discover and experience history at HistoryCon. For tickets, go to www.historycon.com. See you there. So by now, Thomas Jefferson was not only a fan of Calendar, he was subsidizing him. He was paying him, praising him, guiding him. Calendar said, you know, I think I want to be a teacher. I want to get out of this muckraking reporting business. But Jefferson encouraged him to stick to it and to use his talents to help the nation and to help Jefferson. Yeah, that's okay. That's rich. <laughs> yeah. Calendar couldn't say no to that. So would this be impeachable today? <laughs> I think the audience is wondering, like, I mean, this sounds a lot like... At, at this point, I don't know what's impeachable or what's not. I don't Or either. what could get somebody convicted. So lost. Okay. So Jefferson was like a hero to Calendar, even a father figure. Calendar saw Jefferson as the embodiment of this radical Republican spirit. Little R Republican, not to be confused with the current party. Okay. Jefferson was all about the rights of man, freedom, knowledge against the power of the corrupt aristocracy, or so Calendar thought. Can I interrupt and just ask you, if we lived, you and me, with our thoughts and values at this time, I'm just curious, you know, which side we would be on. Would we be a Federalist or a Republican? It's, it's tough to say. I think or, that maybe I lean a little bit more toward the Federalist side of things at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but that might just be because of the sneakiness of Jefferson and, mm -hmm. and kind of the hypocrisy behind mm -hmm. what he was doing. But later, like the ideas of the Democratic Republicans made a lot of sense, but mm -hmm. you kind of had to combine them with some Federalist principles, like having a strong enough central government to protect the country against war mm -hmm. and to maintain the financial security of the nation. So... It's a little bit of a mix. It's not a perfect party that I could choose back then, but I'd probably lean a little bit more toward the Federalists and some of their things. All right. Just curious. Yeah. It's, you know, as you tell these stories, it's um, kind of entertaining in my head to picture us there. Totally. <laughs> yeah, you can't help it. Mm -hmm. In 1800, Calendar published a pamphlet called The Prospect Before Us, and it was all about smearing the Federalists that were in power, especially John Adams. Among other things, he referred to Adams as a gross hypocrite and an unprincipled oppressor, and that hideous hermaphroditical character which has neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. So was he trying to be metaphorical and just use the word, or was he actually calling him a hermaphrodite? It oh, sounds like he was being metaphorical. A little bit metaphorical. Like you're not a man or a woman. He wasn't literally referring to his genitalia, but he was putting the idea out there that, Damn. you know, John Adams is not a man. Or a woman. Right. <laughs> Apparently. Jefferson read a draft of this, and he told Calendar, looks good, great job, love it, love it, approve it, but no one can ever know, obviously. So partly in response to writers like Calendar, John Adams had just signed the Alien and Sedition Act a couple years earlier. Mm-hmm. It made it illegal to say false, scandalous, or malicious things about the government. That's a little bit sensory. A little bit. So what Calendar said definitely qualified by these standards. And Calendar knew it too. So he fled from Philadelphia, where the government was, to Richmond, Virginia. A little closer to yeah. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. Uh -huh. But that didn't stop the administration from going after him for sedition. And no one really knew that these two were buddies yet. It wasn't public, no. That Jefferson and Calendar were buddies. Correct. Okay. 
the administration decided they were going to go after Calendar for sedition. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what Thomas Jefferson wanted. Interesting. They wanted to make a martyr out of this reporter to show how oppressive the Federalists were so that Adams would lose the election of 1800 and Jefferson would win. So That, were... is, that is really conniving. <laughs> it, it is. I mean... Wow. Did Callender understand that he was this pawn in that whole plan? He was a willing pawn. He was a willing. So he knew. He knew. He knew that, okay, this was going to lead to my sedition charge. Yeah. He thought on the other side of it, there would be great rewards for his sacrifice. And we'll get to that. This trial, it was a show trial from the start. It was a sham. But Jefferson couldn't have believed his luck in just how oppressive the prosecution was. Judge Samuel Chase this guy was the opposite of impartial. He made it clear to the jury that he believed Calendar was guilty. <laughs> he didn't care if the jurors already had preconceived notions about this pamphlet. He let one guy on the jury who straight out said, oh, yeah, Calendar's pamphlet, that's totally sedition. Not the same process. <laughs> no. Samuel Chase was later impeached at the urging of Thomas Jefferson, the only Supreme Court justice ever in history to be impeached. The Senate didn't convict him, though. The prosecution, they didn't even really try to prosecute the case. They said, it's not our job to prove he's guilty. It's Calendar's job to prove that everything he wrote was true. And they obviously couldn't do that. There's no evidence that John Adams has more sex glands than you'd expect. He couldn't (laughs) prove everything was true. Right. From the very start, all that they had to do was prove that he wrote this. And that was pretty easy because people showed drafts and stuff. Calendar's lawyers did try one last ditch attempt to win. They told the jury, look, this law, these sedition acts, they're unconstitutional. Even if you think he's guilty of this law, if you think the law is lame, you can just say not guilty. <laughs> and that's called jury nullification. Okay. And juries can do it today if they want. So even today, if they're being charged with a crime that the jury doesn't see fit to be a law in the first place, they can say not guilty and just ignore the law. Yeah, different states might have different laws, but it's my understanding that, yeah, as a jury, if you're like, this law is stupid... I'm not going to enforce it. You can't stop them. Wow. Okay. I wonder if that's happened before. I think it probably has based on my fuzzy memory of CSI episodes. (laughs) The jury found him guilty, though. Okay. The judge sentenced him to a $200 fine and nine months in prison. That's not bad. Not so bad. (laughs) Could be worse. Yeah. So Calendar lost the trial, but he won the status of martyr. And Jefferson won the election of 1800. Just like he wanted. Yep. Thanks in part to Calendar's writings against John Adams. And and, becoming a martyr. Yes. And the campaign against those evil, oppressive alien and sedition acts. Mm -hmm. And also maybe thanks to Alexander Hamilton, who also published an anti-Adams pamphlet. Yeah. He maybe didn't have sex with Mariah Reynolds, but he definitely (laughs) screwed John Adams. Wow. (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And that brings us to Act 3, Thomas Jefferson's greatest political mistake. So James Callender. So so far he's doing pretty good. So he hasn't made any huge political mistakes yet. No, right? Jefferson's on top. He found somebody to do his dirty work. He's become the president of the United States. Things are going pretty well for him. His <laughs> legacy is set. His wrist has been healed. His wrist has not healed. He actually, yeah, I forgot to mention that the wrist injury that Thomas Jefferson obtained while with Mariah Cosway in our past episode uh, plagued him for the rest of his life. Really? Yep. Oh, my gosh. But he was such an avid writer. He could still write. He wasn't crippled, but it it was painful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Back then, most people were in pain from morning to night. They usually had dysentery, it seems like. I can't imagine what it was like to live back then. There was no Advil. So whenever you think about a historical figure and you think, oh, man, I, I hate them. Oh, just imagine that they were probably in a lot of pain. I don't know how to live without Advil. Right. So James Callender was released from prison on the last day of the Adams administration. And now his hero, Thomas Jefferson, was president. Things were going to change. Democratic Republicans like had toast to Callender, thanking him for helping Jefferson get elected. Um, but there was one person who was not toasting. Um, John Adams? Thomas Jefferson. Why wasn't he toasting? In his inaugural address, he said, We are all Federalists. We are all Republicans. He was trying to show that he wanted to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't really true, because if you were a Federalist in the government when he became president, you were almost certainly out of a job. Ugh. But he didn't replace those Federalists with the most radical right. Democratic Republicans. He replaced them more with moderates. Okay. And James Callender was a radical. Right, clearly. He's willing to go to jail. Jefferson had decided to distance himself from those radical Republicans now that he was president, and that included James Callender. Now, Jefferson did technically pardon him, but it was after his prison time was already served. Pardon him? Oh, so... He it basically meant... Pardon him too late. <laughs> He'd it, it, already gone to prison. It took the crime off his record. Oh, nice. And it meant he was entitled to a refund of his $200 fine. All right. Sweet. It was something. 100 bucks is probably a lot back then. It was a lot back then. I and mean, it's a lot today. And so. Calendar needed that money. Yeah. He'd been paying for childcare the whole time that he was in jail because wow. his wife had died a couple years earlier of yellow fever. Oh, shit. That's more to his history yeah. that we didn't know about. We don't even know her name. Wow. He just never wrote about her or never no. mentioned her? That was his own private life, and he was more concerned with the private lives of others. Oh. So Calendar really wanted that job. He wanted to see Jefferson to talk about it, but that wasn't going to happen. Wow. So Jefferson really just ghosted him. Huh? Yeah. You can't step on the people who helped you get there. Yeah. I mean, that's you got to treat them with respect or else they will turn on you. That's did, exactly is right. Is that what Calendar did? I mean, if he can write about Adams, I'm sure he can write about Jefferson. Yeah. 
Secretary of State James Madison did agree to meet with Callender and to try to talk him down. Callender told Madison Jefferson sacrificed him as a kind of scapegoat to political decorum. He didn't um, think he would be ghosted. Right. He did not. Yeah. He didn't he was, think that would be the end of their friendship. He was very upset together. about his ghosting. Yeah. Well, that's it is upsetting. It's a narcissistic thing to do to somebody. Madison said Callender threatened to blackmail them. And Madison made it clear he was never going to get that postmaster job. This is leaving me to feel like I felt when I watched the finale of um, Mrs. Maisel, that last scene, spoiler alert, but where, you know, her tour is basically canceled like that and he won't even talk to her. I mean, I was devastated. I did not sleep that night. Hmm. And this is something similar. I feel kind of, even though I really don't prefer Calendar as a person so far, I'm just, the idea of ghosting someone is just so horribly cruel. Especially when they went to jail for you. And when they are partially responsible for you winning the election. Yeah. I mean, that's really, really cruel. It, it is. I mean, maybe maybe Jefferson was somewhat sociopathic or narcissistic. I don't know. But how could you do that to somebody? I think Jefferson was just thinking about himself whatever it took to be politically successful and to maintain his power, and his vision of the country. No matter what. And Calendar no longer fit into that. Hey. Yeah. So Calendar, he eventually got his money back, and he laid low for a while. He got work as a writer, but he realized there's one thing that sells papers, and that's scandal. So he turned on the entire aristocracy of Virginia, and he decided he was going to take down those rich hypocrites. Oh, my gosh. He started with his old friend, Meriwether Jones a friend of Jefferson's and a printer who'd given Calendar a job and a place to live for six months when he first left Philadelphia for Richmond. So he'd lived with this guy, Meriwether Jones. They were pretty close. So this was a man named Meriwether. A man named Meriwether Jones, yeah. Can we talk about that for a minute? What on earth? Meriwether? Yeah, Meriwether was not an an entirely uncommon first name for a man back then. Mary? Meriwether. Meriwether. I might be saying it Meriwether, but uh, maybe it's like Meriwether. Meriwether. Yeah. Yeah, Meriwether Jones. Meriwether Jones. That's a that's a good name. I, I mean, I kind of like it now. Yeah, Meriwether Jones. So there were some misunderstandings and attacks about Meriwether's brother, Skelton. What? Skelton Jones. Skelton? Meriwether and Skelton. Mer- the Jones brothers. <laughs> Meriwether and Skeleton. Skelton. No, there's no, there's no, it's not Skeleton, it's just Skelton. Skelton. Meriwether and Skelton. But were skeletons known as skeletons back then? The word did exist, yes. Okay, the word exists. I'm glad you didn't have to go to your 20 volumes of your Oxford English dictionaries to figure out if it existed. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it would have taken a big break. Yeah. But the word skeleton existed and they still named their son Skelton. It was one letter off. You know, I can't think of an example today that is one letter off of something of a noun that we would use, especially related to the human body. Count Dracula. Who do you know anyone named Count Dracula? That's a character on Sesame Street. That's not a that's not Dracula. No, that's the count. <laughs> the count or Dracula. Right. There's no counts today that we talk to and hang out with. <laughs> we don't know any count Dra- or Draculas today. Continue with your history. So there were some weird misunderstandings between Meriwether and Skelton Jones and Callender. <laughs> and <would> say. <laughs> so Callender set his sights on their family. And he published details about Meriwether Jones's private life that he only learned because he lived with him. 
Uh, he talked about how Meriwether... Just, I can't believe he's like now stepping on people who helped him, though. It's just more hypocrisy over and over again. The biggest lesson I learned from reading about James Callender is that friends and enemies have a way of merging into something that is... I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that, but friends and enemies... There's no difference. It's like a fluidity. <laughs> yeah. One day you're a friend, the next day you're an enemy. They probably all knew that too. But it reminds me of um, of the Ghibli studio films, yeah. the, um, Spirited Away. Yeah. And other films by Ghibli Studios. A lot of the enemies or the scarier characters within those movies, like No Face from Spirited Away, starts mm-hmm. off as a very almost insidious, demanding creature, turns weakened. And then is cared for by the main character throughout the rest of the movie. That's a happier, more uplifting trajectory <laughs> for a story. If I had to compare this, it would be more like a gangster movie okay. where you got a bunch of guys who maybe they're all hitmen and their job is to kill people mm-hmm. and their friends. Oh, but then eventually they kill each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. These were people who were reporters mm-hmm. who were digging up scandals, who were attacking people in the press. So it was only a matter of time right. before they turned their poison on pens each on each other. Poison pens. Yeah. But that fluidity is there. Yeah. Just like the Ghibli film. So Callender wrote about Meriwether Jones and said he was spending all his money on giving presents to his enslaved mistress. And he'd even set her up with an apartment. And then Callender said, the reason I moved out is because Jones moved his mistress in the house when his wife was out of town. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So these attacks on the fancy proper Virginia gentry, they were really popular with readers all over the U.S. His newspaper articles were being reprinted. He was getting more subscriptions. This was helping him to become more of a success. So at one point during this little war between Meriwether and Skelton and James Callender, Meriwether Jones brought up Thomas Jefferson and defended his integrity, saying there's not one recorded or unrecorded truth which can, in the smallest degree, mitigate against the integrity of talents, the patriotism or wisdom of Mr. Jefferson. Wow. And Calendar was like, oh, yeah? (laughs) Hold my beer. (laughs) Yeah, I have a few. (laughs) He basically said, I've got dirt on Jefferson, but you're all not ready for it yet. And then two weeks later, he accused Jefferson of financially supporting the stuff he'd written against Adams. Wow. And he had proof. Yeah. He had proof that Jefferson paid him. I can't believe that Jefferson didn't see that as a possibility. Yeah. And that's It seems pretty short-sighted. Short-sighted, yeah. Maybe there is some narcissism in that, you know, I know Calendar loves me. He'll love me no matter what. I'm untouchable. He had all this proof that Jefferson had encouraged and supported and was fully aware of all the dirty things that he was saying. And the press went nuts. Um, Mm. One of the Federalist Papers said... Our Federalist Party has been taken out of power by Jefferson's lies. Wow. So Callender said, you know what? I've got even more on Jefferson. But his plan was to wait 18 months to publish it right before the next election, Mm. where it could do the most damage. But then a rival newspaper said Callender is spending all his family's money on brandy. When his kids were starving, his wife was dying of a sexually transmitted disease that he gave her. And that's Mm. how she died. The yellow fever is not sexually transmitted. Right. That wasn't true. So it was a lie. And then Meriwether Jones came out and said, you know, when I was living with Calendar, I could hear Calendar screaming in the middle of the night about his guilt over killing his wife. Oh my God. Yeah. Total lie. So Calendar said, I'm done waiting. I'm done playing games. And a few days later, he published something that started with this. It is well known that the man whom it delighteth people to honor keeps and for many years past has kept 
as a concubine, one of his own slaves. Her name is Sally. Wow. Not only is James Callender the reason we know about Hamilton's affair with Mariah Reynolds, but he's the reason we know the name Sally Hemings. Mm. These allegations sold a ton of papers. The the public wanted to know more. It was a scandal that people ate up. Still a scandal. Yeah. Not only was she one of his slaves, she was majorly underage. Yeah. When they started, yeah. Not in a position at all to be consenting. No. So these allegations sold a lot of papers, and the public wanted even more. So Callender contributed to another story from Jefferson's past. It was called The Walker Affair. It wasn't really an affair, but it's a story that when Jefferson was just 25 years old, he propositioned his friend's wife. They were all at a party together. Jefferson feigned sickness so he could sneak into Elizabeth Walker's bedroom uninvited. Wasn't her husband there with her? Probably downstairs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jefferson actually admitted to this one and said it was an incorrect thing to do and that Elizabeth honorably refused him. Good. But at this point, it's like the Sally Hemings scandal, the Walker affair. Everything is being printed in the papers. And Callender came out and said, look, if these rival newspapers hadn't basically accused me of murdering my wife, Mm -hmm. I might never have published these stories. I might never have had to knock them down with the hammer of truth. Mm. Those were his (laughs) words. If I had a hammer... (laughs) With the Hammer of Truth, by the way, it's the name of a biography of Calendar by Michael Drury that most of this information has come from. He's oh. the best source for everything we know about Calendar. Oh, wow. So Calendar just kept on bringing down the Virginia gentry, and they were afraid to challenge him because he might focus his poison pen on them, and they couldn't really challenge him to a duel because he wasn't a gentleman, and he'd probably say no anyway. But that didn't stop him from getting assaulted by his former lawyer, George Hay. Mm-hmm. So friends, enemies, they yeah. all kind of merge in and out. Yeah. Did he have any friends or family left on his side? I mean, it's hard to say. Sounds like such a lonely such a lonely life. I mean, something happens at work and I'm home telling you about it and then it takes me a week to get over it. If something like this were happening and I had no one to turn to, I mean, that would lead me into some deep depression. Be a very lonely life. Yeah, I don't know. Full of anger. And, I mean, friends one day were enemies the next, so I don't know if there was ever a consistent group of people. No emotional trust at all. Yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons he turned on Jefferson so hard, is that Jefferson was actually like a mentor and a father figure to him. He shaped his career. Mm. So, yeah, Hay finds Calendar in a shop and comes up behind him and just starts beating him in the back of the head. There's so much blood that Calendar can't even tell who's beating him. He doesn't know what's going on. So Calendar survives, and he presses charges against Hay. But Virginia law back then was so weird that... <laughs> like, Hay could just go up to someone and do that, for well, no, example? Well, no. Hay went to jail, but so did Calendar. <laughs> what? Calendar was put in jail for something called preventative justice, which sounds like pre-crime from Minority Report. <laughs> the idea was that if this guy's set free, he's just going to write more libel. So we better keep him in jail so he doesn't <laughs> do some crimes in the future. <laughs> He got out of jail, and the whole beating and imprisonment thing, it made his paper even more popular. So he's gaining more traction. He's becoming more popular. What was Hay thinking? I mean, did he lose his mind or something? Why did he do that? It's not really clear why Hay attacked him. It could be because Callender had sort of implicated Hay in covering up a scandal where a British sailor had committed mutiny, and the Americans had this sailor. 
and the Americans turned him over to the British and he was executed. But Callender was saying they turned over the wrong guy and Hay was covering this up. So that could have been what was going on. Hay could have just been upset about what Callender was printing about Jefferson. Mm-hmm. It's not really clear. It Basically, sounds like a, a crime of passion, though. You just approach someone and start hitting them. You know, I think most people in Virginia probably would have a good reason to do that to Callender. <laughs> okay. It could have been anybody. Crime of passion. <laughs> So what had been making Calendar so popular with his readers was the scandalous stories that he was telling. But the problem was he was running out of bombs to drop. People were hungry for more stories, more salacious details. But Calendar wasn't the type of writer who would just make stuff up. So when he was running out of things to tell, his readership started to decline. Hmm. And his lifelong battle with alcoholism started getting the best of him. I'm telling you, depression... When you're that angry and making enemies left and right and you have no one to trust emotionally, I can't imagine. I would be an alcoholic, too. Then, in the summer of 1803, Callender was headed back to court. For what? This time, he was not the one on trial. He was supposed to be a witness. The star witness for a libel case against a New York publisher named Harry Croswell. So Croswell was accused of libel for reprinting the story that Thomas Jefferson paid Calendar to write bad things about George Washington. This was a true story. (laughs) All Croswell did was reprint it, but he was taken to court in New York. Wow. Croswell's lawyer wanted Calendar to testify, needed his testimony to say that this was true. That was going to be their only defense. And the lawyer who needed Calendar's help? Alexander Hamilton. Oh, God. <laughs> like I said, friends, enemies, I know, things but change and merge. I wouldn't even want to be, I would want out of any kind of relationship with Calendar because you just never know when it turns. True, but Hamilton wanted to defend this guy. The trial was about Calendar's allegations that he was paid by Jefferson and Calendar had the proof. I'm so glad, like, sedition is no longer a thing because, I mean, really, this sounds At like, the time of this recording. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just feel like it makes for some dramatic court cases, just very much um, soap opera. It's a way to punish your enemies. And Jefferson's hypocrisy here is incredible because the Alien and Sedition Acts, these federal laws, uh, Jefferson said these are terrible, these are horrible, you need freedom of the press. But when it came to state sedition trials, um, Mm -hmm. Jefferson was behind the scenes punishing anybody who wrote bad things about him. Right. Blatant hypocrisy. Right. So supposedly, and the details are kind of hard to pin down, Calendar was supposed to give a deposition in one week. On the morning of Sunday, July 17th, in 1803, James Calendar was seen walking through Richmond, Virginia, drunk. Mm -hmm. Later that day, his body was found floating in the James River, drowned in three feet of water. What? The coroner considered it accidental drowning, and he was buried that same day. Oh, my gosh. So this was before he had a chance to go to court with Hamilton? Yeah, supposedly the trial, or at least his deposition, was going to happen in one week. And he drowned in three feet of water. Yep. And he was conveniently found wandering the streets drunk earlier that day. Do you think he was poisoned? I mean, he had an alcohol problem. Yeah. So we know he could have been drunk. Absolutely. But drowning in three feet of water, even, I mean, I've been super wasted, as you know, and I don't imagine drowning in three feet of water. That's not how I see you going out. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) I mean, he must have been held under, no? 
Or maybe he had passed out and someone just kicked him over. Be like, oh, I'm not really murdering him. I'm just sliding him down into the water. Yeah. It's like a mercy killing. Mercy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look like you could use a swim. <laughs> it's like, this isn't really hurting anybody. No. Shh. <laughs> Take a bath. Oh, gosh. We'll never know exactly what happened. There was little mention in the press. Hamilton lost his case. There were rumors that it wasn't accidental. I mean, that would be my rumor. But no proof. And who would want to dig into it? Right. A lot of people wanted them dead. And if it was murder, what would happen to whoever started poking around? Yeah. Say this went all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. Are you really going to start digging around and hope the same thing doesn't happen to you? Right. And for a man that you probably didn't like much. <laughs> yeah, he had a lot of enemies. It could have been anybody. It could have been anybody. Except Hamilton. <laughs> Probably not Hamilton at that time. <laughs> the fact that he had a lot of enemies doesn't necessarily say that anybody could have killed him. Right. But it says that nobody's going to care that much about his death. No one's going to look into it yeah. too deeply. There's probably a lot of the Virginia gentry that are quite happy that he's not going to write about them. Wow. I mean, even though he doesn't seem likable, <laughs> I just, I kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. I mean, for almost 200 years, most historians dismissed the Sally Hemings story. Um, but with the works of historians in the 20th century, like Fawn Brody, especially Annette Gordon-Reed, and DNA evidence, it makes it the consensus of historians now and Monticello that Jefferson fathered Sally Hemings' children. Oh my gosh. And you read books written even in the 80s and 90s, and it talks about how Calendar was just this muckraker who was telling lies about Jefferson and that there was no evidence and it was all out of this spirit of vengeance. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make what he was saying not true. Yeah. Oh, wow. So his stories about Hamilton might have stopped Hamilton from someday becoming president. His writing and his martyrdom and getting sent to jail, that might have stopped John Adams from winning the election of 1800. Mm -hmm. And his stories about Sally Hemings have made her name synonymous with Thomas Jefferson and his legacy. So his impact on the founding fathers cannot be understated. Mm. And that's the end of James Callender and his lifelong quest to speak truth to power. Oh, my gosh. And his possible murder. Yeah. There was murder. A little bit of murder. That's maybe. Exciting. Maybe murder. It's, a pos it's possible murder. Quasi. So, <laughs> takeaways. Takeaways. What do you take away from this story? Oh, my gosh. Well, one is just the smokescreen aspect of how the lies were presented from Hamilton initially. It just speaks a lot about human nature. It just seems like easy to do as a human. They kind it's of say if you're, if you're going to tell a lie, make it a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. And then people will believe it. Right. Hamilton took that to something really <laughs> embarrassing. But you got to wonder if Calendar was right, if Hamilton was lying about this, mm -hmm. then what he was actually guilty of must have been really bad. It's like our daughter coming out and be like, did you brush your hair and teeth? Well, I, you know, I, you know, I didn't brush my hair. No. It's like, you didn't brush your teeth either. Yeah. She's like, I'll, I'll admit to one thing. That, uh, but it's like, they won't we know cause that. cavities. <laughs> right. Um, I think my other takeaway is about the fluidity of friendship versus enemy. Yeah. When you just don't know who's going to write what about you. Um, and there's no way to truly trust others. Even your own spouses, it seems. Hmm. That kind of goes into my biggest takeaway. Ben Franklin once said, he that lies down with dogs shall rise up with fleas. 
So wasn't everyone a dog though? It seems like everyone was a dog in one way or another. In this story, most people were lying down with dogs if they weren't <laughs> dogs themselves. Right. So yeah, if you're going to associate yourself with people who whose careers are saying bad things about people in the press, right. then it's going to come back to bite yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. So if you live in a glass house, you got to remember to feed your attack dog <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> he's going to the they're going to jump through the window like Cujo and bite you. <laughs> and everyone's going to see it because your house is glass. <laughs> and if you have, if you ate all the cakes, make sure to be honest about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't, and don't eat all the cakes. Don't eat all the cakes. Have some of the cake. Try to be selfless for once. God damn you. And brush your teeth. And brush your teeth and your hair. Yeah. If you have hair. Or teeth. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can find more on plottingthroughthepresidents.com or our Facebook page. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe, write a review, tell your friends. And until next time, thank you for plotting along. Thanks. This isn't really hurting anybody. No.